Who doesn't have a family member who sees the world differently than they do? We've all had those uncomfortable Thanksgiving dinners where somebody brings up politics. Testing one, two, three, one, two, three, testing. I'm Ben McAdams. Before I became a member of Congress in January, I was the mayor of Salt Lake County. I think Washington might work better if we elected more mayors to Congress. I want to give an inside view about what Congress is like as I find out about it myself. I don't know what it will take to fix Washington, but I'll start by remembering what I learned when I was mayor. This is Washington. Every January, the President of the United States addresses a joint session of Congress, offering the administration's view of both accomplishments and priorities. When newly elected Utah Congressman Ben McAdams learned he could invite only one person to President Trump's State of the Union speech, he immediately thought of his brother-in-law, Sam Marajowski. Married to his wife's sister, Sam and Ben preserved their relationship by agreeing not to discuss politics at family gatherings. And so uh, the first person I thought of was my brother-in-law, Sam, who loves President Trump. Sam accepted, only to be disappointed when the original date was canceled because of the partial government shutdown. He was thrilled when it was rescheduled, calling it a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Later, Congressman McAdams learned that many members of Congress make statements with those they invite to the speech. And I realized, oh my goodness, somebody's going to ask who I'm bringing, and it's going to be in the spotlight. And uh, I'm here, a Democrat, bringing you know somebody who is he's going to be the first one jumping up and clapping whenever the president delivers an applause line, and and the spotlight's going to be on me. You know, I thought, well, let's just go with it. You know, who doesn't have a family member who sees the world differently than they do? We've all had those uncomfortable Thanksgiving dinners where somebody brings up politics, whether it's right or left, and and you know it's awkward. Who doesn't have family like that? So I just decided uh, to put it out there. This is who I'm bringing my my brother-in-law, Sam. I love him. We don't see eye to eye politically, but we're going and we're going to talk about it. We're going to listen to the president's speech and then compare notes afterwards. But it was it was later that I thought, you know, this could probably send a signal. The signal that I want to send is that, you know, America is, is just one big family. And maybe we can have, you know, I mean, some of the politics today are very divisive. And so I realize that it's hard, but maybe we can find something that a family bond or something as a country that brings us together. And, and we've got to get through the moments that we're living today, the divisiveness that we have today. We've got to get through it and find a way through it. And so I thought maybe I could just share my my guest, who he was, as a, as, an, as a political statement as well. Um, I didn't I didn't invite him as a political statement, but uh, I thought that it would make a statement that I that I wanted to send. When Julie married Ben, he became just the third Democrat in the family. You know, uh, early on, Sam would want to talk politics and that, and it would always end in a debate. Um, so we finally got to the point that it was like, look, let's just not talk politics for the sake of family unity. Let's avoid the topic. So, yeah, I was a little bit nervous about bringing him. How do you not talk politics when you're walking out of the State of the Union together? Thank you. God bless you. And God bless America. Thank you very much. Um, this is my first State of the Union, your first State of the Union. It was cool. Yeah. So we started off with, um, you know, we met here in my office in the Capitol and they had um, several receptions. So we went to a reception, Library of Congress. That one was bipartisan. And then we left that one and went to a reception in the Speaker's office, in Pelosi's office. And you got to meet 
a lot of the representatives there. Tell me maybe a little bit your thoughts on, on the lead up to the State of the Union. Well, I mean, it was, there's a lot of energy in the building. So first of all, an outsider's perspective is that everybody's really just kind to one another. I mean, I, I understand everybody fights on TV, but what, I'm, what I saw is a lot of graciousness. Obviously, Pelosi didn't realize that, you know, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your Republican, uh, Trump supporting a family member. But she was gracious and kind and, and, and uh, you know, even some of the more radical members, right, like the, you know, the AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, she couldn't have been nicer. And nobody was really talking about the speech. I think everybody just was there to have a good time and get together and eat food and talk. But it was interesting. There's there an energy in the air. I, I wonder what the talk's going to be tonight afterwards. I wonder what kind of mood they're in tonight because I don't think they got the speech that they expected. Yeah, what do you think they were expecting? Oh, I thought they, I, I, I thought they were expecting a speech that would validate them and their... And their, them, you mean the Democrats? The Dem- Democrats, yeah, yeah. I thought they would. They were hoping for a speech where Trump would be, would be, you know, uh, down and dark and pissed off. And instead, I, I think for the most part, they got a Trump that was uplifting and inspirational. And I, I was looking at them. I was right. I know you could see me. I was, I was, you know, right there over because people realize that the Republicans sit on one side and the Democrats on the other. Um, they're, they're very segregated like that. So the Democrats were, were, I think, wanting to really hate the speech and found themselves clapping and cheering and uh, at, at some points even. Um, so I, I think now they're, they're going to be kind of wondering what the hell happened? You know, what, what, what was that? Because we liked some of it. Are we allowed to do that? Are we allowed, right, to like <laughs> something that, that Trump is saying? So that's, that's going to be interesting. So you took pleasure in your brother-in-law on the Democratic <laughs> side of the aisle watching me clap at the president's remarks. You wouldn't see that at a Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. But I've, you know, we've had a lot of heartfelt conversations. And I, I know you don't see things just one way. I mean, I, I, I know that about you. But I actually even observed enthusiastic clapping at times. Did I see that right? There were some great moments when he, he talked about the Holocaust survivor and then the member of the military who had gone in to help to liberate that concentration camp. And yeah. that was, you know, that was inspiring to see, you know, some of the, to harken back on some of the great things that we've done as a country in the past. I thought that was, yeah, definitely inspiring. You know, let me, I'm at, I'll ask you a question. When, when, you know, Trump's push for criminal justice reform is something that I think has been a missed opportunity in decades past. And I, you know, I, I, I may be a conservative or a conservative Republican, but as an attorney uh, and a civil libertarian, I think that these insane drug sentences are just absurd. So it's an example of where Democrats absolutely ought to be embracing Trump. And I don't know. I, I think to some extent they did. I mean, there was there was bipartisan support for the bill. Yeah, it passed. It passed. And. And so not everything that Trump does is, 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 is uh, worthy of a full-on resistance. I think this speech signaled to me that Trump knows he has to moderate and that he has to find common ground in a similar way that, that, I, that Clinton pivoted back in the day when, when Newt 
Gingrich, the contract with America came about. I, I, I mean, I mean, Clinton was very, very, very skillfully uh, switched tact uh, with with that, and I, you know, and it ended up um, leading to a resurgence. So I'm warning you, you know, maybe, you know, maybe something really good will come of this, like you know, Trump getting reelected in 2020. Um, I think, I mean, that's going to be a test to the Democrats then. Can we, you know, and myself and I think many other Democrats who were elected in the last, this last cycle want to get stuff done. And uh, I don't like President Trump. I think he's a divisive person. I don't like his tweets. But um, are we going to let that get in the way of getting stuff done if he really is willing to work with us to do things like address infrastructure or the cost of health care? Is there common ground? I have to say, I think there were probably 60 to 70% of what I heard I liked. I thought, for me, one of the low points, and not to focus on the negative, right? Because there were, there were a lot of good things, a lot of olive branches, as you said earlier, that he extended to the Democrats, a lot of opportunities to work together. And I don't want to gloss over that. That was important. That was significant. If we can spend the next two years agreeing 60 to 70% of the time, this country will be a better place, right? For me, a low point was... And we hear this time and time again of the way he talks about immigrants. You know, there are immigrants who come in this country to sell drugs, to commit crimes of human trafficking. Those people are out there. That is not all immigrants. In fact, you know, in Utah, like many places, we have a lot of immigrants who do a lot of good in our country. Honestly, that was a disappointment to me, a low point of the speech. I didn't hear it that way. I mean, candidly, this wasn't a rally type speech. I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, there in in his rallies where he's speaking off the cuff and to his base, he just lumps it all into one big cauldron. But that, that's not. I, and again, I don't have the text of the speech in front of me. But as I recall, he set it up first with speaking of of the great contributions that immigrants make. And I do think there's a critical separation between illegal and legal immigration. And I think that's the thing for me is, and you know, this in a speech of it's only an hour long, and I think he went an hour and twenty five minutes. But you're not going to lay out the whole complex policy. But you know, I, certainly stopping illegal activity, even illegal immigration across the border, is something that I can agree to, and and think is is important. But it's easier to have that conversation if we're also talking about what we are doing to have good people come, right? Who are the um, the people who are coming here to work, who are, um, you know, just want to provide for their families, good, want to be good residents of this great country and maybe even pursue the American dream. Some of them don't want to pursue the American dream. They want to come here and work and then head back to their country after a season or after a period of time in their lives. And, and that's why I think for me, immigration reform and reforming a broken system has to be part of, part of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's why I hope that maybe there's some common ground there, too. I didn't think that was the, the low part about the speech. But I'll tell you that the quip about, you know, about North Korea, I mean, that was what <laughs> I know you guys grown down there. This is where he said that, you know, it's only by the grace of God that he got elected president. Otherwise, we, we most certainly would have been in a war with North Korea by now. Um, <laughs> I even the I was sitting next to I was I had a few very Republican people next to me. And even they groaned. I mean, it was just <laughs> the guy next to me goes, yeah. he just can't help himself. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a classic Trump moment. <laughs> it really was. Um, I thought one of the highlights was um, 
giving a shout out to these amazing women who were elected to Congress in the last year. And I think that uh, was it maybe him in a humbling moment, recognize, like, um, you know, many of these women were elected as a backlash and a statement to him. But for him to, I think, graciously acknowledge them, uh, directly look at them and applaud them. Um, you know, I've gotten to know some of these amazing women who were elected and they are incredible individuals. I look forward to seeing what they accomplish in their service. It was masterful. And it was, and here's the, here's, here's the newsflash for everybody. Trump actually is a really gracious guy. He can be, okay? So he's this feisty, you know, New Yorker who, who gets in people's faces and he, and he likes to be abrasive and he enjoys all that. But I, I, I've said this from the beginning. Trump did not get to where he is in life by pissing off every person he comes into contact with. You have got to know how to deal with people graciously to get things done. So he's capable of it. And what he's doing right now, he's putting on the charm offensive. And he's doing it because he realizes he's, he's, he can't just fight against all of you in Congress. I'm telling you, this was... This was him pivoting, and it was masterful. And it shows that for a novice politician, he has some great political instincts. Well, I don't know that I would say I'm convinced, but I'm, <laughs> I'm willing to, um, regardless of what his motives are, I'm willing to look for common ground and try and, and move forward. You have you know, to. Yeah, you have to, right? Yeah. The voters elected Trump to be the president. They elected me to serve in Congress. And I think people want us to work together. So I don't know that I'm ready to give him the credit for a stroke of genius, but uh, I'm willing to work and try and find common ground where it exists. Yeah, and you will. You're, this, is, this is your strong suit. I liked what you wrote in the Deseret News, uh, your op-ed piece um, written a few days before the speech. And you said you were listening, Okay. It turns out you had the right approach. A lot of the people that were sitting around you have spent the last you know week, I think, talking about it and writing and exactly the opposite. And so it turns out that your approach to this was right. And that's important. It's always important to listen. You can't criticize on one hand, and you don't, right? On one hand, you got a lot of people out there criticizing Trump for boorish behavior, and then they engage in the same boorish behavior back. Uh, okay, great, tit for tat. But that's then then that's hypocrisy, and it's not going to get get anything done. So you're 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 doing everything right, and uh, I think Utah's lucky to have you here. Uh, well, thank you. We'll uh, continue this conversation over Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay, Sam Mirajowski, my brother-in-law. Thank oh, you. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. I want to thank you for listening. And what I really want is to hear from you. So please email us at tips at loudmouthproject.com. I'm Tom Luma. And this has been Washington, a Loudmouth Project production. We'd like to thank the village that made this podcast possible. Andrea Smartin, Letitia Comstock, Amy Donaldson, Allison Hayren, and of course, Congressman Ben McAdams. <laughs>